Good morning. It's good to be with you today. And I want you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Ruth. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, then Ruth. It's about three pages long probably in your Bible. So if you get to Samuel or Kings, you've gone too far. Come back a little bit and, uh, and come there. I do want to let you know that uh, as things continue to open up and get uh, more back to some sense of normalcy, I do ask for your prayers next Sunday. Uh, Walt Haskins and myself are going to go back to Kenya for the first time since February a year ago. Uh, as I told the service this morning, there are a few hoops that we have to jump through. I'm not as concerned about getting there. I'm more concerned about getting back. And so, therefore, you pray for us next Sunday as we go. That's good. But a couple of weeks later, I wish you'd pray for us to getting back into the United States. And so, uh, but as we're reestablishing our, our contacts there that we've been uh, helping as much as we can during this pandemic. Also, to let you know that, um, you know, I've always thought of myself as a great preacher. But, I, you know, to have people come all the way from Alaska to hear me, I'm just really impressed with that. And I want, Chuck, if you'll just stand, if you don't mind, this is Chuck Frick, uh, former member of our congregation. You may remember Chuck, uh, has been to Kenya with us, continues to support the ministry in Kenya for all of these years. But uh, upon retirement, we ordained him into the gospel ministry. And Chuck pastors a church in Anchorage, Alaska. Amen. And... Um, And as he went to that church to pastor, he found Diana. And Diana, if you'll stand, this is his wife. Uh, she is a saint of the Lord, not only for marrying him, but uh, for her work in the ministry as well. And we're, I'm so grateful to see each one of you and have you with us today. Thank you so much for being with us. The book of Ruth is, was my mother's favorite book. She would tell me of the Bible. She would say that any number of times. And my mother taught second grade Sunday school for about 30 years. And so every year they studied Ruth and Boaz. And so it was a common story for her to be able to teach young children. But she loved the love story. She loved that aspect of it. And so every May, she would read it about Mother's Day. And it, interestingly enough, I, about this time of year, I kind of get a hankering to say, I need to read through the book of Ruth again. And, uh, and, I, and I do. And I come today, and I want us to, to look at this story and, and draw some truths from it uh, that have great application for us here in 2021. But there was a man by the name of Elimelech, and Elimelech was a, a good Hebrew man. He uh, worshiped Jehovah God. He, he lived in the village of Bethlehem. Does that sound familiar? Bethlehem is just a little small village. It's kind of south of Jerusalem. And so uh, in his village, the Bible says that there was a famine. And so Elimelech decided to take care of his wife and his two boys. And so they moved to Moab, a foreign land way over there. And it sounds as if when you read the account that it really is a great distance. But if you've been to Israel, Jerusalem down to the Jordan River is less than 20 miles. And then once you cross over the Jordan River, you're in Moab or Jordan today. So he probably only went 20 or 30, maybe 40. He didn't go far. Uh, but in that part, in that country, there was no famine. So famines in that day and age were basically localized crops failed. And so in Bethlehem, there was no food. So he picked up his family, his wife Naomi and his two boys, and they moved to Boab, Moab. And you realize that over the course of the next 10 years, as scripture talks about, the boys grew up. And they were living there in Moab, and they decided, uh, Elimelech and Naomi, that their boys needed wives. 
And so they found Moabite women for both of the boys to marry. Now, for a good Jewish boy to marry a foreign woman was not typical way of doing things. But they lived in a foreign country, and so that was the, what was happening. Things seemed to be going as such well for the family, but then their crisis came in as the story begins to unfold in chapter 1. Elimelech died, and so there was Naomi, two boys, and two daughters-in-law. And then the Bible says that the two sons died as well. And so Naomi saw herself and the two daughters-in-law and said, I just can't stay here. You know, there's nothing good for me here. Everything that I had of security and comfort and, and, and that which was going to take care of me was my husband and now both of my boys. You know, years ago, Kathy, my wife, used to say that we have two sons. And she said, I just want you to know I gave you an heir and a spare. And so, you know, we have two boys, and then if you ever think about that in terms of, of men taking care of their parents in old age, I'm really nice to my daughter-in-law. <laughs> but the reality is, in that day and age, there was no social security system. There was no way for Naomi to support herself. She was in a foreign land. She did not probably own land there. Neither did Elimelech. And so she was going back home. And so she called the two daughters-in-law and said, what I want you to do is I want you to go back to your family. You can go back to them. You're a widow. You have no children. They will accept you. You can probably get married, have children, and, and life will go on. And one of the girls chose to do that. She went back, and as such, she passes from the scene of, the, of Scripture. We don't hear anything more about her. But then there is Ruth the one that we know the most about. And Ruth said to Naomi, no, I'm not going to do that. And in, in chapter 1, verse 16, I want you to look in these words, this declaration that Ruth makes to her mother-in-law. She says, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God what? My God. It's probably the, the, really the only memorable verse that we have in all of Scripture from the book of Ruth that we know about. But she made this declaration, and if you understand, Ruth, again, is from Moab, a, a country, a people that worship many gods. And so she was a polytheist. And so, therefore, she had come under the direction of Elimelech and Naomi, come into that family, and she had changed, changed dramatically, to the point that she said to, to Naomi, your God is what? My God. So she moved from polytheism to monotheism. She accepted Jehovah God as her God. She left her family in Moab and said, no, Ruth, excuse me, Naomi, you are my family. And where we go to Bethlehem, they will be my family as well. If you skip down just a few verses, you begin to see in, in, in verse 20 that as Naomi and Ruth get back to, Jeru to Bethlehem, Naomi makes this, this declaration. Don't call me Naomi, she said. Call me Mara, because the Almighty, Almighty God, has made my life very, very bitter. 
What she was trying to say was, when I left, my name was Naomi. I had a husband. I had boys. I had a future in front of me. I could be cared for. I could be taken care of. But all of that has gone. God must have removed his blessing from me, and now I am cursed. Before, my name was Naomi, pleasant, pleasing to look at, beautiful, if you'd like to say it that way. But now she says, I'm afflicted, bitterness, those things that are bad have been heaped upon me. What Ruth and Naomi could not understand is that in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the circumstance, they couldn't see beyond that. They couldn't see what was coming. They couldn't see that God had a plan. And even in the midst of this crisis of losing a husband and losing two sons, God's hand was upon them. If you look at this particular story, you realize that, you know, here's, the, here, here's kind of the theme. There's a problem, which is that there's a famine in the land. And so we're introduced to Elimelech and Naomi. They're kind of secondary characters. But Ruth rises to the top. She's the main character. And as you move to chapters 2 and 3, you inter- we are introduced to a second one, Boaz. And they have eyes for each other. They fall in love. They're still the problem, but they fall in love. The problem is solved. They get married. They have a child and live happily ever after. A Hallmark movie. And they thought they had the pattern. They thought they had this system in place. It's from 3,000 years ago at least. God was working in the midst of these two people. God was rising up Boaz to take care of Ruth and Naomi. And you begin to look at this particular story and you realize that it is a love story. It is a story where a man's love for a woman, his protection and his care for her, he brings her into his own. And so it's true. That's what my mother loved about this story. But there's a deeper dimension here. It's a picture of God's love through Jesus Christ for his people, particularly the nation of Israel. You begin to see that God uh, is blessing them, he is prospering them, he is bringing them unto himself. And you look at this story and you realize that uh, how important it is for you and for me. If there was not Ruth, we wouldn't be in the family of God. From the beginning of time, God had a plan to redeem his people, the nation of Israel. But he also had part of that plan that he would bring someone who is outside, an outcast, a foreigner, an alien, and graft them into the family. And because of that part of the plan, you and I are believers. You and I have the option or the choice to be able to follow Jesus Christ. We are not Jewish by birth, biologically, but we have been, as Stephen mentioned just a moment ago, adopted into the family. If we didn't have that doctrine, if we didn't have that teaching, we'd all still be pagans. We wouldn't have the opportunity to be in the family of God. If you look in Matthew chapter 1, you begin to see in the, in the lineage of Jesus Christ, there are only two women that are mentioned. There's Rahab and then there's Ruth. If you look at both of those women, you realize they're both foreign women. They're both aliens. They shouldn't be there. But what has God done in his miraculous plan? He has made it so that we are able to be part of his family. 
You begin to, to look at this particular story and recognize that it is a love story, but it has great meaning for us, great spiritual meaning for us. And there are several things that I want to kind of pull out for us today to understand about this particular story. One is that in, in, in the time that Ruth and Boaz were living, it was a chaotic time in the nation of Israel. Moses brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt. They wandered in the 40 years in the wilderness. They entered in the promised land through Joshua. They conquered. They were at war. They were at battle. But they began to settle there. And God implemented what was called a system of judges. And that's why we have the book of Judges. And those judges were the rulers over various tribes and groups of the Jews within the nation of Israel. Uh, or that, that, the tribes of Israel. But if you look at the very last verse of Judges, it says, the people did what was right in their own eyes. So there was chaos. Jim Golson made one plan. Chuck Frick made another plan. I made another plan. And there was not unity within the, within the uh, nation of Israel, but there was a chaotic state. That's the, na- that's the circumstances in which Boaz and and Ruth lived. But if you skip just to another book, the next one, the Samuels and then the Kings, we're introduced to Saul and David and Solomon. The book of Ruth is that bridge between the judges and the kings. And it showed the continuity of God's hand upon his people. It showed the continuity of God's spirit moving through his people, even those that may be from the land of Moab that God has grafted into the story. You begin to see that in the midst of this chaos that God's was uh, uh, his protection for his people. He uh, allowed them to be uh, protected from all of the enemies that were around. You began to see that they were not going to end. You know, there was Abraham, there was Isaac, there was Jacob. You know, then there was Joshua, there was Moses. I'm excuse me, Moses, and then there was Joshua. And it seems like a great leap to the time that you get to King David. But that's what they're looking for: Messiah, the Christ, the one that God is going to send to rescue them still a thousand years away from this time frame. But there's this great truth of God's providence, of his uh, promise to take care of his people. But secondly, it's also, there's an understanding in this book of God's continual lineage through his people. He chose some unusual people at times, such as Ruth, to accomplish his task. It was interesting, just as you, if you think about this in terms of oriental custom, here's Boaz who said, yes, I will marry this woman. And he stands before the elders of Bethlehem and said, I promise I will take her as my wife. I will take the land of Elimelech. I will use it and keep it in his name. I will marry his widow, Ruth, I mean, excuse me, the land of Elimelech and the boys, and I will marry Ruth, one of the boy's sons, uh, wives, and in that marriage, I will have children, and I will keep alive the name of Elimelech and his descendants. That continual lineage that we have. And how did he do that? He didn't choose a Jewish woman. He chose a Moabite woman in order to do that. 
the importance of our family gathering together as the body of Christ, those of us that are grafted in, the interesting thing is that the elders, Jewish men, approved the marriage. They should have said, if they were following typical Old Testament law, listen, buddy, I know you love her, but you can't marry her. You've got to marry one of these women. You've got to marry someone from Bethlehem. But God in his providence allowed to continue the line through this Moabite woman. If you go further on, as we've mentioned here in chapter 4, you begin to see that, Mo, that Boaz did exactly what he said. He bought the land. He married the woman. Uh, he uh, promised to have children, and those children would be uh, in the name of the Lord, but particularly in the name of Elimelech and his descendants. But you also realize in that same thing, Boaz represents to us a critical aspect. It's called the Redeemer, the Goel in Hebrew. He's the kinsman redeemer. That, that concept probably wouldn't work too well in you know, 21st century United States. But you know, if I pass away, that there has to be somebody to take care of, of my wife. And so that would typically be my boys. But if, if they were no good, you know, you look for your daughters-in-law, you look for someone else in the family. But if I was much younger, instead of me having someone to care for me and, or my wife in that way, someone, one of my brothers, if I had one, or then maybe my uncle or my cousin, somebody in my extended family would marry my wife, have children, half my land, pass it on to my children, and so that I would not be for, forgotten. As I said earlier, you know, you look in the scripture and you realize, you realize that all, time and time and time again we read through these genealogies and they have very little impact upon us many times. But for the Jewish people, they are critical. They anchor them. They place them in a time and a setting they give them the promise of the land. And why is the land so important? Because God gave the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes, the land that we call Israel today. And so therefore, when I die, that land does not cease to exist. It is not sold. It is not gifted. It stays in the family. Sound familiar? That's the concept of what Boaz is doing. I will take responsibility. I'll marry her. I'll have children. I'll take care of the land. And just so you know, he got a mother-in-law with a package deal. But what a mother-in-law, Naomi. One who had trained, had taught, had faithfully submitted to teaching her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the ways of the Lord. Who came to faith and was steadfast in that walk with the Lord. The last thing I want us to kind of look at is that there's a, a great teaching within this book for us in that the responsibility that men and women have, moms and dads have, we have to give food. We have to provide water and housing and health care and education and all of those things that would care for our children. Elimelech chose what he thought was the best thing for his family. I'll move out of Bethlehem and I'll go to Moab. There's food there. Maybe there was work there. But he saw that he could provide for his family there. Naomi did the same thing. After Elimelech died and the two boys died, she said, I can't stay here. There's no one to care for me. I must go back to my family back in Bethlehem. She was welcomed there. And, of course, if you remember the story that uh, when she was welcomed there, she had a, a bit of a plan. She told Ruth, now, we need to eat. And 
You can go into the fields and gather the, the wheat and you can glean it as the word. And you can take that which is left over and bring it to us and we have food to eat. But don't just go to any field. Go to that field. And that was the field where Boaz was. And if you remember that part of the story that she kind of snuggled up at his feet one night. And um, I'm not going to really go very far with that story. But, uh, but uh, it meant a lot more in that culture than it probably does in ours. And so he caught her eye and she caught his. And she went back to Naomi and said, oh, there was a man and he was so nice to me. And Naomi is smiling. Yeah, yeah, let me tell you about that man. He's a good choice for you. You know, he, he's the one that I've had my eye on. He's the one that, that we ought to capture. And, of course, in the whole process of that, look what he says in, in chapter 2. He says, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you richly be rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He's talking to Ruth. He's saying how grateful he is for her. She has come and she has submitted herself to the Lord and the Lord has promised to care for her. The responsibilities that we have as fathers and as mothers, but the truth of the matter is as we take care of those essentials in life, we've added to that list. And so that we, we have this understanding that we have to get them on the right baseball team or the right soccer team or they've got to go to this class or they've got to learn how to play this instrument. They've got to be able to go to this school in order to go to this school. And yes, there's a mate out there and I'm going to start looking for who that mate happens to be. And we take care of all of these things. And I realize even in our lives with our two boys, all the piano lessons and, and all of the things that we did, the sports that they played. And here they are in their 30s and they don't do either one of them anymore. Temporal. They pass away. The responsibility that we as parents and grandparents, and even in this case with Ruth, great-grandparents, to be able to instill within our, within our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, it's not those things that are temporal, but those things that are eternal, those things that have a lasting value. Are we as parents, are we as grandparents, are we driving our children into the Word? Do they see us reading the Word? Do we read the Word with them? Do we study together? Do we help them meditate and, and, and memorize the Word of God? Do we place them at a point that the Bible is critical and center within our family? Do we pray with our families, not just grace, but do we pray and lift them up and pray with them and have a prayer list and say, let's pray for those who are in need? Do we bring them to church? Do we drive them to church? Do we let the things of the world pull us away from the church? Or do we do those things with our children and grandchildren that bring them into the church? We're your partner in ministering to your children. Do we help our children understand that their mission in life is to share the gospel with those who've never heard? To be able to serve those who are underprivileged and need help? Are those are the things that will be lasting when they look at you and they look at me in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, or however long the Lord allows us to be here, will there, will there memory be of us that Grandpa, I always saw him with a Bible in his hand. Grandpa always had a word of encouragement from God's word for us. Grandpa always wanted to lay his hands on us and pray for us. Grandpa or Grandma wanted to do this, the spiritual dimension of life. We have a struggle. We have a struggle to think or that we have a hard time thinking beyond our children. Ruth had no idea 
that she was the great-grandmother of King David. But God did. God was using the faithfulness of Naomi to teach the faithfulness of worshiping Jehovah God to Ruth. And three generations later, there was going to be born King David. And out of the loins of King David ultimately became Messiah, the Christ, Jesus Christ, who we worship, the Son of God. Naomi didn't know, Ruth didn't know, and you don't know. The progeny that's coming, the future that's out there, where are you going to be? Are you going to be that spiritual leader? Are you going to be investing in the temporal things? Are you going to be investing on things that are eternal? You begin to look at Ruth, and you know, and I've made a couple of notes here. She's not known for being a great pie maker. You know, in that day and age, she would have been a, a baker of baklava, just so you know. But uh, uh, she is not known as a great mother. She's not known as, you know, a great teacher. She's not known even as a great wife. What is she known for? The great-grandmother of King David. How did that begin? How did she even get into the picture? Because of the faithful, the spiritual nature of a one woman by the name of Naomi, who taught her heathen daughter-in-law to worship one true God, Jehovah God. That's God's plan. That's God's intention for you and for me. It's Mother's Day. Father's Day is coming. The responsibility that we have is great. And many times we are burdened down because, oh, Will, I can't do that. My time has passed. My, my kids are grown. I can't do anything about yesterday or last week or 10 years ago. I didn't do it. It's today, ladies and gentlemen. It's from the point of today forward. We may not change the past, but we can change the present. We can change this day and then next day if the Lord gives it to us. And next week if the Lord gives it to us. We begin to see God working within us to affect not our generation, not even the next generation or the next generation, but the next generation. Unimaginable. Unimaginable for us. Our great-grandchildren. Will they look back and have that spiritual heritage of their great-grandfather and mother walking faithfully with the Lord, teaching their children, teaching their grandchildren, and then teaching their great-grandchildren? There's a powerful verse you find in Joshua chapter 24, one of the greatest declarations of the Old Testament. Joshua says boldly before the people, the nation of Israel, as for me and my house, what? We will worship the Lord. Don't miss the fact it doesn't say I. What does it say? We. My house, but we worship the Lord. Does that speak to you? Do you understand? The rules are different at Grandma's house. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> I see some grandchildren saying, uh-huh, that's right. You're, you are the leader of your home. You invest in your children. You invest in your grandchildren. You have them in your home. The rules are different. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray.
Lord God, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for this book. I thank you for this woman of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz as you have led them together and you've orchestrated the, the continuation of your hand upon your people. Lord, you have raised up godly men and women as examples to us today. A story 3,000 years old. A story of love between a man and a woman. But out of that love came children. And out of that love ultimately came King David. And from King David came Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. Lord, we love you. You have loved us. You have provided for us. Lord, today may we take the truth of your word. May we use it, apply it. May we share that good news with those who have never heard. And it's in Jesus' name.